When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into the latest Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's high tech studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Whether you're watching or listening live or archived, we're so glad you could join us today on Wednesday, October 9th, and recap a thrilling 42 35 win for Virginia Tech over Miami. And we get you set for Rhode Island and Virginia Tech this Saturday at 4 o'clock at Lane Stadium. We've got our normal crew today. We've got Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes, the producer of the Tech Sideline podcast, our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder, and the head honcho, Will Stewart. And I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Again, glad you all could be here today. So glad everybody could be listening or watching with us on Facebook, on YouTube, on SoundCloud, on Apple Podcasts. So many great ways to listen and watch the Tech Sideline podcast. A uh, reminder that this week and every week, the TSL podcast is presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm, dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 30,000 people charged with moving violations. For free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's one 800 680 7031 or email them at info at fisherlegal.com. Gentlemen, it's great to be back with you. We were here on Monday, so I have seen you guys in the last 48 hours, but uh, the odds of this happening slim to none. We're about 20 to 25 minutes into the podcast on Monday, and the power goes out. The power goes boom. And the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center power goes out. And uh, and so we sat around for a while. And we got a tight schedule on Monday, so we just had to shut it down and go with the Facebook Live video archive. That's it. If you want to go see it or listen, if you didn't get a chance to see it or listen to it, it's uh, go to our Facebook uh, videos, and it's it's a 15-minute video <laughs> that ends rather abruptly. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was really we were just getting into the the, the meat of the of the uh, the podcast. It was our best podcast ever. Yeah, it was clearly, awesome. It was awesome. It, yeah. it was going to change the course of podcasting forever. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so we're, we're, we the lights are on. We are we are good uh, and, and rocking and rolling. You today. know, it's it's just so disappointing. Bruce Smith was sitting right there, <laughs> and we were having an excellent interview. He didn't break the couch, and Michael Vick was going to show up halfway through, and the power went out. And the power went out. Yeah. Yes. What a disappointment. Next time. Yeah, and those guys had to leave, and you know now it's just the three of us. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Everything good? <laughs> oh no, everything's not good. I'm grumpy today. I had my roof redone in July. Uh-huh. 7,000 bucks. It literally hasn't rained since then till yesterday. It poured all day yesterday. Yeah, so it rained yesterday, so I was greeted by a huge leak in the roof down into the master bedroom. So sorry. I'm not happy. Sorry to hear that. I have other reasons for being unhappy, too, but we won't get into those. <laughs> Cece, how are you doing today? Bad mood also. Yeah. Five o'clock baseball. 
after but, a three o'clock baseball game on Monday. There were empty seats in the Cardinal Stadium on Monday because the game started for at playoff baseball. For playoff baseball seats. because of television. So, so television lets them play at five and three. They, they have they to. They want to show all the games. They want to show all of them. Yeah, yeah. They want that's, everybody that's above would be able to watch all of them. Like if there's a like the Braves <laughs> will start at five today because. The Dodgers and Nats are playing in L.A. Well, they want the East Coast to be able to watch that game, so they're going to start it at 8 Eastern time. Like 5 o'clock yeah, their time. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, Television, yeah, I, man. Yeah, it kills the first round of the playoffs as far as the timing of them and everything. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in a bad mood in a 5 o'clock game, although it's better than 3 o'clock. Well, you know, I'm in a good mood. You know why? Okay. You're always in a good mood. I am. I'm <laughs> here with you guys. It's, it's one of your best qualities, Evan. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, good luck to your Braves today. For those that don't know, CC is a diehard Atlanta Braves fan. They're in a winner-take-all uh, game against the, the Cardinals today. We're recording on Wednesday. They haven't, they haven't won a playoff series since a month after I enrolled at Virginia Tech. That's so I'm, crazy, I'm not gonna man, because they used to win all the, the time. Braves, it doesn't sound like the Braves. That just sounds wrong. And they've been in the playoffs a lot since then. It's It's just... You would think the law of averages they would win one. It's point. just weird that the Mets have been in the World Series like in the, just the last few years, you know, and, yeah. and, the, and the Braves hasn't haven't. Well, uh, you know why, why I'm also very excited today because we have a a, a song lyric. I thought I was going to say because the gnome is with us. Well, I'm getting. I'm getting. <laughs> it, yes, we will. We will address the gnome. We talked that about gnome it needs Monday. a name, man. <laughs> it does need a gnome. All right, all you, all you people on Facebook Live, come up with a name for the gnome and don't make it silly. And also on Facebook Live, if Actually, you know the song lyric, we'll get to the end of the podcast. Of course, Will always likes to throw. Not uh, always. Or sometimes I forget. Yes, yes. Um, I'm still o for. Uh, I've never gotten one. I'm, and and, I'm and I even served up Queen in my double-wide trailer. That was pretty easy. You can't do a thing to stop me. That is today's song lyric. I like it. I mean, I don't know what it is, but I like that uh, lyric. It's a, it's a great song. So, anyway. So, a, drop that in the, uh, the comments section on Facebook. We'll get to that at the end of the podcast. That's right. So, we we introduced our gnome last week on set. Um and the he's, gnome he's, is, he's in a good mood, so that's two people in a good mood and two people in a bad mood. <laughs> the gnome is undefeated, Will. <laughs> well, he's one and zero. That's true. Um, so we've got the song lyric, we've got the gnome, a rock and roll and tech sideline podcast. Again, glad you could be with us today. We're going to kind of recap the Miami game, not as in depth as we normally would, because we got to get into Rhode Island prep as well. Um, and <clears throat> excuse me, the last thing I am forgetting, I knew I was forgetting something. Uh, we talked about on Monday, for those that didn't see the Facebook Live, the archived, uh, the Heidi game. We're right. Get into that before we get into the Monday game. Will, you read up on the Heidi game. Tell our listeners that might not know, what, what's the Heidi game all I about? I did. We were, we were comparing uh, how ESPN cut away from the Tech Miami game, and then there was a play that occurred with nobody watching on television, and that reminded me of the Heidi game, which you as a Jets fan, you need to study that lore. And the Wikipedia entry for the Heidi game is – I'll just say it's very detailed. It's it's unusual to get a, a Wikipedia entry that's that detailed on something. Well, I wouldn't say that. I just didn't expect it to be as detailed as as it is. I think the game took place in 1968. That's a good time for the Jets. Don't really remember the year. It was the it was the Raiders and the Jets. And some of the detail of the game was kind of interesting. The Wikipedia entry says early on Words to the effect of, at that point in time, it was common for most uh, football game broadcasts to take about two and a half hours. Wow. And and they they slotted three hours back then. And that's kind of a thing that still exists to this day. Networks slice out a, a three-hour time slot for a football game. 
recently they've kind of bumped it out to three and a half, you know, because they know how things go. But back then it was common for pro football games, college football games to go two and a half hours, and they would uh, block out three hours to show the game. Well, according to Wikipedia, it was uh, it was quite the chippy game between the uh, Jets and the Raiders. 19 penalties called. Wow. There were 31 incomplete passes, which was... Sounds uh, like the Jets. Uh, which was... A lot for that that era. So they had a lot of penalties, which stopped the clock. A lot of incomplete passes, which stopped the clock. Apparently, they had a lot of injured players that had to be helped off. So this game was dragging out. And uh, uh, it was, let's see, the, the Jets scored, uh, kicked a field goal, I believe, to go ahead 32-29 to 29 with a minute one to go. All right? So they kick off to the Raiders, and the Raiders return it to their 22-yard line. And it's 7 o'clock, and it's time to show Heidi. And... Um, this is so old school people were calling into the network to find out if they were going to keep showing the game and there were people calling into the network to make sure they were going to cut away to show Heidi so whoever's in charge of things and I believe I was skimming the Wikipedia entry I believe they said something about a switchboard melting down they were getting so many calls which sounds ridiculous in this day of you know digital electronics but apparently it happened so the, the Raiders return the ball to the 22-yard line. There's a little under a minute left to go. And NBC, may, I believe it was NBC, makes the decision to cut away. The Raiders go boom, 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 boom down the field and score a touchdown to go up. That would be 34 to, to 36 to 32. And then the Jets fumble the kickoff. Shocker. And the Raiders recover it and score again. And it winds up being 43 to, to 32. So they cut away with it 32 to 29. And it winds up being a, a two-score win for the Raiders. And uh, so all that happened with only the people on the West Coast being able to see it. So that had effects throughout the industry. And they came up with policies and procedures for deciding to uh, um, cut away from games or stay with games. So it's convention to stay with games now. Yeah, that's so really that, interesting. that's the Heidi game. Story. And of course, we tied the Heidi game in how we're talking about it with Virginia Tech, like you were saying, that final play against Miami. Yeah. And then cutting away, and then ESPN doing a good job once they went to Tennessee, Georgia, showing the final play. But I mean, we talked about it. if they had scored, you know, obviously they probably would have gone to ESPN News, but it would have been interesting how they would have handled that. I didn't know the final play happened until an hour after the game. Yeah, there, there, and that would have been the case for a bunch of people. So you're a Tech fan. You're done watching college football. You turn that thing off thinking Tech won. And what if Miami had scored and tied it and it had gone to overtime and all that stuff? Those of us who were still watching football would have been clued in right. that they'd probably bumped it over to ESPN News or something like that. But, man, that that thankfully it worked out well for the Hokies. And, and as we talked about on the abbreviated podcast the other day, um, the uh, the play that Miami came with was – it was, it was weak. It was really weak. And, and it was funny because, or interesting, because uh, Fuente, I believe it was Fuente, was talking about, you know, how, how difficult it is for players who think a game is over yep. to go back out there and have to play defense for another down. Uh, I would say Miami had a much harder time trying to play offense on that down. That was a really weak effort. Well, he was saying on Tech Talk Live that, you know, it's also tough when the referee comes on the speaker and says the game is over. Yeah, I don't, and, and I that's don't, when they cut away from the game because they heard the officials say the game's over. There's no criticism in my mind for ESPN cutting away because the the head official came on and said into the mic the game is over. Yep. So so well, let's listen. Let's dive into the game that featured so much uh, from a 28 nothing lead for Tech. Uh, Okie's forcing five hurricane turnovers, a hail mary, a Miami comeback, a two point conversion, a 
missed extra point that would have given the Hurricanes a lead. Um, a game-winning drive from Hooker that we later find out that the coaches were contemplating. Do they score the touchdown? Do right. they maybe dive to the one-yard line? There are a lot of scenarios. If they dive to the one-yard line, eats up more clock, limits a Miami possession. A three-and-a-half-hour-long game. We just mentioned the Heidi game and cutting away so much built in to what was a resilient bounce-back win for Virginia Tech following the, the loss to Duke the week before. Chris, how do you put all of that into words for Virginia Tech? Certainly a crazy – I think most teams will play a game like this once every few years. It's just crazy from start to finish and has so many twists and turns to it. Um, I guess this will be that game for Virginia Tech this year because I can't imagine another one going being that crazy. Uh, there, there's so many things to think about and talk about from the game. Uh, the 28 to nothing lead, obviously the big thing coming out of the Duke game was – had Fuente lost the team. I mean, that was a discussion that people were having after the Duke game. And clearly he is not because nobody would play as hard as they did in that game. Apparently they had a really hard week of practice where they were physically, mentally, and emotionally challenged because, as he said on Tech Talk Live Monday night, basically he said, I thought we were soft. I thought we were soft physically, mentally, and emotionally against, against Duke. And he's right. Can't that's, argue that, with any that, of that. That, that, that. I mean, that's what everybody said. That's what I said after the Duke game. And he challenged them. And he said, to their credit, you know, they didn't get their feelings hurt and everything like that. They took it as it was intended to get them better, to challenge them and make them better. And they certainly were against Miami. Um, now, time will tell whether it's a, it's a one-week thing. You, you want to see them continue that intensity. Because this is a team that doesn't have a lot of margin for error. You know, they have to do everything right. Obviously, we saw what happened. You know, they played really hard against BC, but they didn't play well. Minus five turnover margin. Lost, gave gave lo- up a couple lo- big lost runs. Lost by seven. Yeah. Um, it was the opposite against Miami, you know. They, they played really hard and then a plus five turnover margin, and they won by seven this time. So turnovers are sometimes all the difference. Uh, turnovers and, and, and staying in the game mentally. They didn't stay in the game mentally against Duke. Um, Tech, Duke's not good enough offensively to blow anybody out like that. That was just Tech, tech checking out mentally. Oh, we said at the time, you watch Duke, that's maybe a six-win team. Right, right, yeah. right. They're, they're, they're just they're, – they're, they're okay, but they're not, they're not great. So if Tech had stayed in the game mentally against Duke, they could have been in that game in the fourth quarter, but they didn't. Uh, they checked. They just checked out. Um, I, I've played on bad football teams before. I know what it's like when everybody checks out. Yeah, uh, I played on two teams that went winless. Right. Yeah. Um, I know. Uh, yeah. So that was clear to me what was happening there. Man, let's see what else do I want to talk about. So let me let me jump in before right. I get a thought. You know, the, the, there was all that talk in the off season about how they had improved uh, team chemistry and morale and all that stuff and. I think everybody, me included, thought that would just lead to more wins. And that doesn't appear to be the case. Mm-hmm. But you, you take a situation like the, the past week where they play poorly against Duke and then the coach challenges them by, by cracking the whip in practice. If your team is not together and your morale is bad and guys are not buying in, that move backfires. Uh, so that's the spin I'm going to put on it, that because he's got – 
a better attitude on the team, they responded positively to that to that technique. So I wanted to throw that out. Yeah, there. Uh, you, or there are two ways you can respond positively or negatively. There's really nothing in the. Yeah, there's no, there's not much yeah, in right. between. It's either you know the beatings will continue until morale improves. You can take it that way, right? Or you can actually embrace it and use it to get better. Hey, man, and, coach and, is trying to make us better. Let's let's well, man up. Correct. So uh, that shows to me that you know he's got the right mentality on this team. Um, so he, he's done a good job get, getting players together for, from that standpoint. Uh, I, I thought Tech looked more physical overall against Miami. It's, yeah. ama- it's amazing how much more physical you look when I think maybe you're playing with more confidence. Uh, maybe you had a good week of practice. Buzz Williams always said true confidence comes from your work. So if they had a good week of practice – they, they were confident going into that game. So, so you, you just you just wonder, what did Justin Fuente learn from this? He's a young coach, right. you know, and, and whatever you learn from it, it actually might not work next year, might not have worked the year before. But it's just, it's, you know, these guys get paid millions of dollars and then they hang their hat and hang their fortunes on a bunch of college kids. Well, it's possible he went soft on them. And he, and he went soft on them because... Maybe a little too touchy feely. Yeah, right. I mean, everybody wants everybody wants them to be buddy buddy with the players. You know, you can't do that. Yeah. Um, now he denied this, but I think a player to mention to the media back before the season that one of the things they complained about, one of the things they talked with him about, was the off season conditioning program, the mm-hmm. training program, and things like that, and how. They made changes there. And then Fuente came out and said, no, we didn't make any changes. But I think a player or two said, yeah, they made changes. And what do you think were the nature of those changes? I, I don't know, but it just didn't seem like we were as tough and physical and conditioned as we should have been to start the season. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we weren't practicing them as hard because of that little player revolt that we had last year, and he didn't want to take a risk of losing anybody. Um, but now at least he has tangible evidence where he can put in front of them and say, this is what happen, happens when you have a really good, tough week of practice and you challenge yourself. Yeah, it, I, I guess I guess what happens there, whether it's conscious or subconscious, is it's game time and you think to yourself, that was a really tough week of practice. I'm not going to let this game get away from me easily because I paid too much in right. the previous six days to, sure. to just let this thing go. Yeah, absolutely. And it helps when you uh, get an early turnover. Yeah, you know, and momentum builds. And, yeah. You know, it's interesting to me. I, I've always felt that if you look at the different levels of football, from peewee football to high school football to college football to the NFL, emotion, the younger you get, the more and more important emotion becomes. You know, and I see a lot of a lot of emotion in peewee and young football, a lot of emotion in high school football. There are a lot of ebbs and flows to some games where unless one team's just physically dominating the other. They, they work some of that out in college, but college is still a very emotional, momentum-driven game. It's really remarkable. Yeah. You know? And the, the NFL, not so much. Correct. Yeah. Uh, the other point I wanted to touch on is uh, <clears throat> Tech's game-winning touchdown and the talk of whether they should have run more clock, everything like that. I think they played it the right way. I mean, that game was nuts. Let, let's reset it, by the way. So yeah. uh, real quick, so it's under 90 mm-hmm. seconds. First and goal. Tech score with a minute, two seconds left, I think. Yeah. And yeah. basically what Coach Fuente said on Tech Talk Live was, you know, there were many scenarios of what to do. And he came up with, let them try and score once. And then if not, they have a play in their playbook where 
they run the play full speed, but you get down as close to the goal line as you can. So without scoring, correct? Yeah, he he he. What I heard him say, there was a lot of detail to what he said, but what I heard him say was, I didn't want to overthink it and get too cautious and screw it up. I didn't, I didn't, you know. He's so he kind of let that one play unfold. Yeah, um, and I think he made the right call. First of all. There should have been 20 more seconds off the clock because earlier that drive, Hendon Hooker. With a minute 45, Hendon Hooker slid, slid for a first down. For a inbound. first down, and then they <clears> kept <throat> the clock running for some reason, and he was clearly in bounds. Uh, so it never should have come down to those late Miami plays, as far as I'm concerned. Now, one of the things people talked about uh, what you could do, you just run it to the middle of the field, force them to use their last timeout, keep run- and then keep running the ball, and then you kick a field goal. As crazy as that game went, Miami had just missed an extra point, right? I'm not risking that. I'm not risking a bad snap, a block that's returned for a touchdown, a miss, any of that stuff. Uh, I'm going as straightforward as I can right there, just as crazy as that game had gone so far. I agree with that, and I also think, and I don't mean this as a criticism, but I think in that moment Fuente probably got outcoached just just to – to a minor degree, <clears throat> um, Manny Diaz said after the game, I, I actually didn't read the quote. I just saw people saying this on the boards. Manny Diaz said after the game that, that Miami let Tech score on that first play. I think Fuente wanted to center the ball on that run and not really score. He didn't tell his team that. He just called a play to the middle to position the ball. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've watched that play multiple times, and Romeo Finley in particular, number 30, isn't trying to make the play. He's there in the middle of the field. He could have tried to tackle Deshaun McLeason. He's not. He's kind of standing up watching it happen. So I'm not sure all the Miami players got the memo because some of them looked like they were playing hard, but others were not. So um, maybe for that one play in that one moment, uh, Diaz got the advantage on Fuente, but you know, you don't see those kind of scenarios very often, and Justin Fuente will be ready for it next time. Yes, Fuente said they have a play, a signal, a don't score signal. For situations, and they like have that. a defensive let them score. Right, 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 right. right. No, so what if he had called the don't score signal and Miami called the let them score signal? <laughs> what would have oh happened? There's a <laughs> wide <laughs> open. Something's got to give. Romeo, Romeo there's Finley. a wide open hole there, and Deshaun McLeish just stops. Romeo Finley and Deshaun McLeish standing there at the one yard line, looking Having at a each other. <laughs> well, <Yeah. laughs> well, you know, you're going to have to tackle me at some point because the clock's running. <laughs> It's, uh, those are all good points. Um, again, we're talking. So, about- so anyway, one one more, you know, yeah. I, I, I and I said this on the message boards, and you as a Jets fan, you weren't old enough for this, but back when Marino was quarterback in the Dolphins, the Dolphins and the Jets were in one of those games where they were just back and forth, and Miami wound up in a situation where they they had a small lead, and the Jets were on like the Miami ten yard line, with about a minute left to go. So Don Shula thinks to himself, "I got Dan Marino. Let the Jets score." And the Jets, instead of letting them burn clock and score with no time, so he let the Jets score with a minute left to go. And what do you think Marino did? Right down the field for the winning touchdown. Listen, so I, this I, stuff happens. It's it's not unprecedented. So I've been a Jets fan since '08. I've heard two stories where the Jets have had leads and lost it. So I guess whether it's the '60s or the '80s or the '90s, then of course the you know the, still... the fake spike play by Marino that was right. also against the Jets. Absolutely. Um, and I think there's one play too that actually reminds me. I think it was the 2012 Super Bowl, the the rematch of the Giants and the Patriots. New England had the ball with like a minute left, and the Giants let. 
the Patriots score, similar to where Tech was, and then Eli Manning went down the field and eventually won the Super Bowl for the, uh, or maybe it was vice versa. The Giants scored and the Patriots let the, anyways. But there was some. I think the Giants beat them twice, didn't they? Yes. Yeah. So I think it was. Yeah. Yes, it might have been. Uh, yes. Anyways, but um. So so tongue in cheek, Virginia Tech's not used to these situations where you need to score a touchdown in the last two minutes of the game, and you actually drive downfield and score a touchdown. You know, I, I said this in my article on Monday. That actually doesn't happen a whole lot around here. And but man, they came out and Hendon Hooker just dropped that dime right on Damon Hazelton to start that drive. And then that great play call and Miami got suckered into it again. That great play same, call pretty much to, the same play. Yeah, over to uh, Dalton Keene who 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 was this close to having four touchdowns, not just three. Let's uh that's what I wanted to bring up next and, and discuss Hendon Hooker. I want to get back to that throw and that drive that he had. Uh, you know, the Hokies Switch from Willis, they go with Hendon Hooker. Uh, before we get into those numbers, I do want to ask you guys this. You know, coming off a tough game like the Duke lost, the 45 10 loss at home, do you think that it was almost like a, a fresh start and a clean slate for the offense to switch quarterbacks in a way? Uh, maybe. Um, I think it was a necessary move. Um, and I don't blame them for starting Willis at the beginning because when you make that decision in August, you think you're going to have healthy Damon Hazelton and healthy Trey Turner together at the same time. You think you're going to have either or Zachariah Hoyt or Brock, or Hoffman. Brock Hoffman or both It's center. Yeah. You think you're going to have Jalen Holston at tailback. I mean, you think all these things I – mean, I mean, I thought all those things were going to happen, right? But as it turned out, you know, Holston broke his leg. We don't have Hoffman. Hoyt gets hurt in the first game. Hazelton's back now, but he missed the first three games, and now Turner's hurt. So you haven't had your two wide receivers together at one point. So Willis's strength and the strength of the offense was supposed to be throwing the ball down the field, and he hasn't had the receivers, you know, so far with Hazelton hurt and Turner banged up, his own injury to his throwing shoulder, uh, the fact that they've had to, they've had to throw a couple true freshman linemen in there that they weren't expecting. Uh, and, and probably the fact, quite honestly, the defensive coordinators know that that's his one great strength is those deep downfield throws so they're not leaving any defensive backs on an island down there these days. So uh, I think a lot of things that were supposed to happen that I thought were going to happen this year didn't happen. You know, no healthy wide receivers, a broken leg to the guy that might have started at tailback, your top two centers – you're unavailable. I mean, so I think that changed things dramatically. So at that point, you can't throw the ball down the field anymore with Ryan Willis. And he, quite frankly, is not a good enough quarterback to really see the field, make quick decisions to, to check down to those short to intermediate routes and things like that. Uh, he just hasn't shown that ability throughout his career. And so if those deep balls are taken away, he becomes an ineffective player. So you've got to pull the plug. And I think they finally figured out – I think they – I don't know why they, they went into the Duke game with with both quarterbacks because they're both such different quarterbacks. You have to have two different games. All plans. three quarterbacks, actually. Right, yeah. yeah. They're such different quarterbacks, you have to have different game plans for them. You can't run the same game plan with Ryan Willis that you run with Hendon Hooker yeah, or vice we, versa. So, to, to me, it's like, it's like they – it's like when you you know how when you when you go jump in the ocean, right? It's much better to just jump in the ocean than 
oh, just go stick your foot in and everything like that because you don't know how cold the water is going to be. Well, Virginia Tech, the Duke game, they just kind of stuck their foot in and, and weren't aggressive, and and the result was a 45-10 to 10 loss. They needed to jump into that game probably with Hendon Hooker and design a game plan around him, and they had a whole bye week to do it. And they didn't do it. Yeah, they, they got more done in the one week between Duke and Miami than they the, did in the two yeah, weeks before Duke. for sure, um, yeah. which is odd, to say the, to, to say the least. Uh, sometimes those bye weeks can work against you because you got more time to think and you can outthink yourself. Um, so, so I think maybe they did that leading up to the Duke game. Um, sorry. No, you, no, so so you look you look at the numbers for Hooker, and Will, coming into this game, two career pass attempts for One Hooker. completion. Yeah. One completion. He goes out there and puts together a 10 of 20 day uh, passing, 184 yards, three touchdowns, and then he's the team's leading rusher, uh, 16 attempts, 76 yards, a touchdown. He scores a touchdown on his first drive. What do you make of his first start with Virginia Tech? So uh, some numbers is his QB, his pass efficiency rating, the collegiate scale was 176.8. I, I believe I read it was the highest rating of the week for anybody. Um, and that's with a 50% completion percentage. His, his yards per attempt was pretty high, you know, and his touchdown interception ratio was good. Um, and you're not supposed to use QBR or pass efficiency on, on a per game basis. It's kind of a season thing. But if he'd been doing that all season long, he'd be the number 11 passer in the country. Um, so that's how good for him that one particular outing was. The other thing that I was impressed by was how well he ran the offense. Um, and and I've, I've said all of this in my Monday article. Um, I, I didn't see issues with getting the play calls in, getting guys lined up, getting the plays off on time. You know, And that, that's something that really wasn't talked about was how well he ran the offense. And then the third thing was um, – he was uh, more elusive as a – well, he broke more tackles as a runner than I expected. Um, he is uh, – he's elusive. He's more explosive. I think Ryan Willis has good top-end speed. He does. I think if you put him and him and, him and Hooker, you know, next to each other in the 40, it'd probably be maybe the same, you know. But the, 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 the quality of the run, the characteristics of the run are very different. And – I don't. I was going to say that Miami was surprised by Hendon Hooker's running, but I'm not sure you can really prepare for something like that. I guess you could spy the quarterback or whatever, but there were, you know, there were a couple of runs he had. He had one where he uh, he juked Shaq Quarterman out of his shoes. You know, Quarterman didn't even get close to tackling. Four-year starter linebacker. Yeah, you know, and and Manny Diaz said that I can't remember exactly how he phrased it, but I, I think that you know Manny Diaz has taken over the defense after this game. He, he's going to take over, I believe, the defensive play calling. And I read an article about that, and he kind of said that that there's, there's something missing with Miami that they brought back. Now, they lost some guys off defense, but they brought back five or six, you know, good players, including those, those linebackers, Quarterman and Pinckney. Is that the other yep. guy? And, you know, they just didn't play well. You know, Hendon Hooker at times made them look bad. Uh, so I'm sorry I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, but uh, – um, it's, it's all very encouraging and very interesting. And one of the things, you know, and we talk about this all, Chris talks about this all the time. You don't know what Hendon Hooker is going to do in a game until you put him in a game and he's not wearing a yellow jersey and you're not blowing the whistle every time a defender gets close to him. Um, I think if, if, he played, if he played for a, a more higher profile team and that was an 8 p.m. game 
and they saw some of the runs he made, he they'd be on the hype train a little bit. Um, I I was kind of guarded watching the game, but uh, there's there's a really nice the ACC Digital Network put out a really nice highlight package of Henders of of Hooker's best plays, probably about two minutes long. When you watch all of them strung together, you're like, wow, that's some pretty good stuff, right. you know. And and so if he was in a higher profile game for a higher profile team, I think there'd be be a little bit of a hype train going. Now that doesn't mean it's going to continue, you know. Again, as we always say. There's game film out on him. There's right. play calling tendencies out on him. Like that last play to Dalton Keene, man, where, where they, they looked like they were running a little option or something to the right. Man, did Hendon sell that thing. He was committed to it. And then he stops and turns and, and throws back over to Keene. And Miami got suckered into those things, and the next team won't get suckered in like that. Miami's very undisciplined. Yeah, it'll and repeat. He'll be even better against Rhode Island, of course, as, as we'll get into a little bit later. But who knows after that? Yeah. Uh, and, and here's the thing. What I said, Tech should have played him against Duke. I mean, they should have played him the whole game against Duke. Maybe that's true. Um, but if they'd played him the whole game against Duke, then I'm sure Miami comes out with a different defensive game plan. Maybe things go differently. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, it's hard to say. Um, but but I, I do know that. He's a net positive, you know. No matter how you slice it, I think. I think the wide, the Virginia Tech's wide receivers. I don't think they're. Uh, I don't think it's going to improve their stats any. That's for sure. But I think it's a net. Yeah, positive. Yeah, there, there were ten completions and eight of them were to the tight ends. Yeah. and he did hit Hazelton on the perfect throw. But earlier, I think it was in the third quarter when we went into our offensive rut and we went down the field one time, and Hazelton was wide open. Hazelton beat him. his man. Yeah, yep. and, and Hooker overthrew him. Uh, so. And that was one of those first two drives in the second half where Virginia Tech stalled a little okay, bit. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I think he's a net positive, though. Obviously, he helps out the tight ends. Uh, I, I think when you can run the football, you can get a little more creative with your with your passing play calls and your play designs and things like that. So I, I think on the whole, you know, he's going to be a net positive. Um, I think I just think Cornelson just seems more comfortable with with a mobile quarterback that can execute the read option, <laughs> which makes which makes you wonder why like they stuck with Willis for so long. If he can't execute the read option, I mean we, we have, you know, we've got guys like Brandon Patterson and Eric Carr, who write these analytical articles for us, and we've built up so much video evidence of Willis just <laughs> Willis just making the wrong read on the getting read his option. running backs just killed, get, getting and... his running backs killed while. The defensive end's crashing down, and there's, and nobody, there's nobody out on the outside. If he just kept, just the kept football. it, you're running for 20 or 30 yards, and he can't make those reads. And it just doesn't seem like this offense can be effective. I mean, those are wasted plays. You might yeah. as well call something else uh, if he's going to so, make the wrong so read. So here's what it boils down to for me. The formula for the Miami game worked. Worked from the standpoint that the team played harder and generally played better. Right. So if I'm the Virginia Tech coaches, I replicate that. I'm not sure I practiced them as hard as they did this past week, but you know, you maybe that's their decision. Maybe dial it back a little bit. We don't really know the details. You start that quarterback. You play Allen Tisdale more. You know, do do these things again and see what happens. Because you know, one thing it worked for a week, and whatever you were doing the first four weeks wasn't really working. So keep doing what did work and see what happens. Last thing I'll say about Hooker, Tech 9 of 16 on third downs against Miami. Miami was top – I believe Miami was – they were top five in the country 
in stopping opponents on third down. So that Miami's coming in, Miami's offense was horrible on third down, something like 25%. And the defense was really good on third down, 23%. Mm-hmm. And Tech, I believe, converted seven of their first eight third downs. So everybody talks about how Tech got outgained, but what the Hokies did was they were, especially in the first half, they were very efficient on third down. They were six of six for touchdowns in the red zone. And they are one of, and I wish I'd run this number, I actually have the spreadsheet. Tech's one of the top teams in the country in red zone touchdown percentage. They're like somewhere between number 10 and number 15 in the country. So I hate the way the NCAA does this stat. They do, they do red zone scoring, which includes field goals. I think there, any coach in the country doesn't equate six field goals in the red zone, six out of success. six for field goals. Yeah, that's not successful. Six out of six touchdowns is successful. Absolutely. Well, let me throw something else in there with regards to the offense. And people talk about offensive identity, how we didn't have one. And this is how why I'm positive they're going to keep rolling with Hooker for the rest of the season no matter what. Is now they at least have an offensive identity. Uh, Fuente said this off the record after a Duke game in front of a friend of mine that works games. He said, we don't have an offensive identity. So he was saying the same thing the fans were saying. So after that game, he decided, we don't have an identity with Willis. We can't run the football, and we can't throw the ball downfield anymore. So what are we? What are we? We're nothing. We're, We're nothing. You can't move forward and improve and grow as a team unless you know who you are and you know well, you what you have to have a strength to go to correct right, right. and uh so with hooker they have an identity now and now they can move forward i think now they can improve because they know what their identity is you know what your plan is every week now um and i don't think that was the case before so i, I think we'll pro- i think we'll see more growth now uh, we weren't, weren't really seeing growth before in, in the offense it didn't seem like uh but we'll see it now i think Two things before we get to Rhode Island. Again, this is Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. Recapping Miami. Two players I want to talk about before we get to break. Number one is Dalton Keene. We've talked about him, but you look at his numbers that he put together, I mean, through the past game. Five receptions, 73 yards, three touchdowns. I find it a little bit interesting. Maybe it's a little – maybe I'm looking at this a little too closely, but first start for Ryan Willis last year, who was his quote-unquote safety blanket against Duke. Dalton oh, yeah. Keene. Hendon Hooker's first start looks the tight ends a lot. Um, you know, even Coach Fuente on Monday at Tech Talk Live saying that this game, without getting into details, he said with a smile, was personable, uh, personal to uh, yeah. to uh, Dalton Keene. I'll, I'll get into the details. Yeah, go ahead, <laughs> go ahead, Chris. Take he the doesn't reins. like Trevon Hill. <laughs> That's obvious uh, from uh, his little bow touchdown celebration. That is, and he that got is. him on a tackle too. There was one play right at the whistle where he he brought him down. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah he did. And it was a weird reverse pancake thing yeah. where he got underneath him and put him that on. Was kind of, it, that it was, was strange looking. It weird. didn't even look like the had the physics required to do that. So, so it might have been Hill flopping a little bit to try so, to draw. So to me the 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 biggest piece of evidence that Trevon Hill was frustrated was was the fake injury. You know, the running off the field and he falls to <laughs> and that that's so Trevon Hill, you know, the yeah. oh man, oh my legs hurting me, that kind of right, thing. Right, yeah, he did that a bunch last anyway, year. Anyway, I didn't uh, mean to interrupt Chris. <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh Keen said after the game they asked him about going up to Hill going up against Hill and he said he said, I knew he was gonna play hard, but then he said something like, But I knew if I kept going after him play after play he was going to pack it in or quit or something I think he like may have that. said give up. Give up, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And then he did say, though, about the whole the, the bow. He said he didn't know where that came from. Yep, if if sure. I'm not mistaken, that's Trayvon Hill's. That's a little sack thing. His his cell, right. right. Uh, that's what I thought. 
but but regardless, I mean, we we've, we've talked about the tight ends and you know getting them involved, and we've also talked about well, you know, tight ends only get so many receptions. Every time you throw to them, you're not throwing to Dave one Hazelton of those wide receivers. In Trey Tur- so, I mean, are you concerned at all about the fact that the receivers didn't get as many looks? Are you okay with well, the fact the tight ends were the focal point? I, of I the don't care as long as whatever somebody works, catch, man. Whatever works. <laughs> Forty-two <laughs> points speaks for itself. I, I mean, honestly, Tech threw the ball twenty times in that game. If any coach in the country outside of maybe like one of those Big 12 guys, will tell you that if I could win a game by only throwing the ball 20 times, yeah, I would do it. I would do it. Yeah, they would do it all day long. Miami threw it 55 times. They, and if they, Miami throws it 55 times, that's bad because they need to be throwing it about 20 because they have a bad offensive line and bad quarterbacks. Yeah. Uh, so by getting out to a 28 to nothing lead, Virginia Tech negated their strength on offense, which was DJ Dallas, and forced them to keep throwing it. And, uh and I'm not sure that game comes down to what it came down to if Tech had just kept with their regular defensive game plan into the fourth quarter. I just the three man rush thing just didn't seem to have the desired effect. You said defense. We'll close with this. We'll start with Will before we get to uh, Rhode Island. Listen, defensively, Ashby another great game. Eleven tackles, second in tackles for Virginia. Ashby was was he the linebacker of the week or whatever? I believe he was by the ACC. I think yeah. So. yeah. Um, that's right. They let off Tech Talk Live, though. That's correct. Second time in his career he's had that honor. Yeah. Second time this season. Yeah, I believe, yeah. 11 tackles. Second in tackles for Virginia Tech. Was it Shamari Connor? No, it was Tisdale. Alan Tis- Tisdale. Well, that makes nine. sense. It's a backer position. And then Divine Diablo and Shamari Connor, as well as Jermaine Waller, all had five. So, um, you look at the defense. Also, sacks. You had seven, seven. different players to get involved with sex. You had Mario Kendricks, Manuel Belmar, Norrell Pollard, uh, Jalen Griffin, Jermaine Waller, Jamari Connor, and Rayshard Ashby. Well, I'm sure to hear the guys like Kendricks and Belmar and Pollard getting involved with sex, that's got to be a bright spot for Tech. Yeah, we could. Um, we spent a lot of time talking about the offense. I could spend a lot of time talking about the defense. Um, Miami's offensive tackles are not good. Uh, are they the both left, freshmen? No, nah, the right guard is a true freshman and the left tackle is a true freshman. Right. And they're still young at, at most of the other spots too, but that left tackle is quite frankly probably the worst left tackle in the entire country. Yeah, and, and the PFF grades support that, yeah. the pro football focus grades. So he's young and he's not good. So uh, Tech brought a lot of pressure from just the, the three what, from the four-man rush. But they also uh, – Bud, you know, yeah, everybody's saying Bud three-man rushed it too much. But if you watch the rest of the game, he brought somebody on a lot of plays. Uh, Chamari Connor, probably Ashby. I don't know if Tisdale was in the backfield a whole lot, but – but he dialed up a lot of stuff because he knew that their young offensive lineman probably couldn't pick up stunts and things like that, and he was right. So some of it was just individually beating a guy, and and some of it was what was what Bud was doing. And I thought Chamari Connor was phenomenal. Yeah, he, he's a sophomore, and that dude, if that guy stays healthy by the time he's already good, um, depending upon what the next defensive coordinator does, you know that you you might see a different defense next year. But he fits the whip position perfectly. You know, he's a guy that you can send into the backfield who can sack the quarterback. And there were several instances of him being 20, 30, 40 yards downfield in coverage. And that's one of the things you want from your whip linebacker. And he's such a physical tackler. I highlighted a play that, man, nobody else is talking about. But uh, DJ Dallas made a run off the left side. And and the way I phrased it was, Chamari Connor was getting his lunch money taken by a tight end. And he just shed the block, reached out, and grabbed Dallas, who was a physical, explosive player. 
and stopped him right there and took him to the ground. And that's just, there aren't a lot of guys that are good at that. And that's a guy that you can, so we've got guys at, Virginia Tech's got guys at all levels of the defense. I like, I like some of the defensive ends. Uh, I really like some of those young defensive tackles, plus Deshaun Crawford. Mm -hmm. I really like Tisdale and Connor and and Ashby. You know, Ashby's a Mike that's where he belongs. He's not a great guy in the open field, but he's good at that that middle Mike position. And then Chris highlighted in his Inside the Numbers article this week, uh, Waller and Farley have just improved by leaps and bounds. So I really like the corners. I'm not big on the safety and rover play right now, but the point I'm making is that Tech is whoever comes in to be defensive coordinator next year. He's got guys at all levels of the defense that he can work with, and he's probably got guys in the wings that we're not seeing right now that he can do something with. Yeah, it's defense is only going to get better, assuming they make a, a solid choice. But they have to play hard like they did against yeah, Miami. They did for four quarters. They, they can't check out like they did against Duke. And I'll note that some of the players you named, some of the guys who had sacks, Connor, Pollard, Kendricks, Garbage. I'm sorry. Those three. Yep. What state are they from? Is Kamari Connor from Florida? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's from Jacksonville. I'm telling you, man, with, with the in-state talent base declining in the state of Virginia, you know, one of, one of Frank's early things was to go down to Florida and get a lot of players, mm-hmm. you know, guys with a little bit of and chip. Florida or, players are going to be up to play Miami. That is very true. Yeah. That has traditionally been the case. Um, so – you know, maybe maybe that's something they need to get back to. And and guys like guys like Pollard and Kendricks that they said they had a lot of offers. I'm not sure how real some of those offers were. We, we don't were. know. We, right. we never know uh, how. But they, they weren't high profile guys. But man, they play hard, and I, they they look like the guy the guys that this program is built around. Yeah, they absolutely are. And and Kendricks is such an inconsistent player right now, but his upside is so high. Yeah, he'll be good. And it's it's not unprecedented to see true sophomore defensive tackles redshirt at Virginia Tech. Kevin Lewis did it in 2001 after playing as a true freshman in 2000. Because Remember, we went five deep in 2001 in defensive tackle, so they yeah. just went ahead and redshirted him. Uh, 2015, Ricky Walker redshirted after playing as a true freshman in 2014. So it's not un- it's not impossible that when Virginia Tech gets, you know, Josh Fuga will be a redshirt freshman next year, and the other Juco that they signed who's uh, cutting him, cutting, cutting him. who's going to redshirt this year. Uh, you know, you're talking, you're talking, maybe seven or eight defensive tackles who can play on the roster next year. So it's possible that one of those true freshmen can redshirt next year. So, so I'm, I'm actually getting excited about the future of the defense. You know, despite what happened against Duke. You know, that's yeah. a that's a motivation issue. Sure. And just thinking back on the Phil Elmasian thing, you know, and and how much he changed the culture of the defense and the whole team. Hopefully Tech can find a guy to do that again. And we keep going back to the the Blackwell guy at, at uh, ODU. He's the kind of guy that um, th- through the creation of that bandit position and the plays that are made from that position, I can see I can see Blackwell getting a defense fired They're up. They're just so aggressive. Yeah. Uh, and defenders really love aggressive that. Love that. Yeah. So I, it keeps taking my hand out because we're having a great conversation, but we are running short on yeah, time. Yeah, i got to make sure we get to uh, Rhode Island talk. Uh-huh. So let's do this. We'll step aside for a break. We just had a great conversation recapping Miami. When we come back, we'll quickly look at Rhode Island. I want to get to our questions on Facebook. This is the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm.
If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Your official law firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go Hokies. Welcome back aboard the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. Off to a great start on the podcast. We just got done recapping Miami. We'll get to Rhode Island in just a minute. We got Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes producing. Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, Evan Hughes all here on set. The Hokies uh, look to make it two in a row against Rhode Island coming into Blacksburg on Saturday. It's a 4 o'clock kick on the ACC Network. Uh, let's quickly talk about the Rams. Uh, Chris, you, you alluded to this on Monday for those that watched the podcast live on Facebook before it cut off. Uh, this is a Rhode Island team that is struggling coming into Blacksburg. They're 1-4. and four. Um, They've had some tough losses. They lost to Delaware in triple overtime. They lost to Stony Brook when Stony Brook broke off a 50-yard run with 11 seconds left in the game to take it's, the lead. It sounds like Tech against Boston College yeah. in like 2014 or that, whatever. Right. That, 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 they lost another game on a last-second field goal. So they could easily be 4-1. and one. But that being said, there's a reason they're 1-4. and four. It's because their rushing offense averages 75 yards a game and 2.8 yards per Something carry. Something like that, yeah. And then their rushing defense – is one of the worst in FCS football. They give up give, two, 250 or something 250 like that? 250-some yards like six or seven yards a carry? And yeah, something like that. Uh, so there's a reason that they're one and four. They've had, you know, it's bad luck when you lose that many close games, but at the same time there's a reason for it. It's because in the running game, on both sides of the ball, they're bad. It's, surprised, it's a little surprising that they're bad defensively. Uh, to me, they look like they're a bigger team than most FCS teams are as, as far as defense goes. They like they play four defensive linemen, but like one of their defensive ends is like 280 pounds. Wow. So they're probably slow. If you're a 280-pounder at the FCS level and you're playing defensive end, you're probably slow. So uh, this is what looks like to me a pretty slow defense. They're fairly experienced. They're just not very good. Yeah. Offensively, they've got two really good wide receivers, very good players, uh, and a very good passing quarterback. But the quarterback's no rushing threat. He has 19 carries this year. Twelve of those were sacks. So he just doesn't run the ball. And he has no running game behind him. Like 2.7 yards per carry. Vito Prior. Yes. Um, so he's a guy, only 187 pounds. The you quarterback's know, 187? The quarterback's 187. Uh, with no rushing threat behind him, and he's not mobile. Right. I mean, he's going to be a, an absolute sitting duck. Um, Tech is going to tee off. Yeah, and, and this this is interesting because Waller and uh, Farley will get challenged by what you say are two good receivers. Yep. So that's good. I think though, I think if they watch some film and see those guys are good, they'll be dialed in. Sure, I, I can't speak for the rest of the team. Oh man, I I, I think it's. E- I think it would be easy to motivate the defense this week. Well, maybe not easy. Maybe I'm probably overstating that. I mean, it's a, a trap game be. between Miami and UNC. But I would be telling those guys, look, this quarterback's going to be a sitting duck. He doesn't run, and they can't run the football. You don't have to worry about the run. Jalen Griffin, you just pin your ears out and go back, go after the quarterback. Yeah. Alan Tisdale, we're going to blitz you a lot today. 
you know, we're just going to go get after this guy, play meet you with a quarterback, and just have a good time today. Right. Because um, that's what defenders want to do. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I, th- I think this has the potential to be a fun game for Virginia Tech's defensive players. And, and I don't mean any disrespect to Rhode Island's offensive players because that quarterback and those two receivers are good. But it's, it's, not, it's not a good matchup for, for, Rhode, it's a, for Rhode Island. It's a great matchup for Tech. You know, a bad matchup for Tech is quarterbacks that run. Right. Like Furman, this guy's, Darren Granger. Right, right. This, this guy's not a runner at all. So. Yeah, you look at Now, granted, it was at Brown, but 31 of 44, 389 yards, three touchdowns, no picks for Prior. And then this receiver, Isaiah Coulter, one of their top 12 receptions, 171 yards, and a touchdown against Brown. Both so. of their receivers went to Gwen Park High School in Brandywine, Maryland. And I put this in my game preview which will be out later today if you're watching this live, maybe already out if you're watching it archived. Virginia Tech had a former starter on defense that played in the NFL who went to Gwen Park High School. And your trivia question for the day is, who, who is, that, is that guy? Who is that guy? Yeah, so Chris has is, Chris is put in his game preview. The first person to answer that question correctly in the comments on the article will get a TSL Pass subscription. That's right. Uh, you have to do it in the comments on the in the article. You can't do it on Facebook yeah, today. Yeah, don't do it I, on Facebook. And actually, don't give it away don't on Facebook. Don't give it away on Facebook if you want to be first. You know it, yeah. All right, so while I have that, and before we get to your predictions here, I'll, I'll go with this. I have a trivia question that can be fun for those on Facebook as well. I tried to come prepared with a fun trivia question. Tech and Rhode Island have played one time oh, wow. in history. Do you know when that would have been? 1973. Not a bad guess. A little, a little bit higher. No, a little bit higher. No, well, back it when was they pre, were, pre-Beamer. Back when they were both in the Atlantic 10. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, but Lamar Odom played for him, right? Yes. <laughs> that's, that's a whole other story. <laughs> so Tech, <clears throat> I have no idea. Tech in Rhode Island, 1980. Hokies won in Blacksburg by a score of 34-7. to So 1980 would have been the third year of Coach Dooley, and in 1980, I pulled it up, Virginia Tech in 1980, uh, went 8-4 and four that year. They played in the Peach Bowl in 1980. Any idea of who that opponent would have been? Uh, Miami. Correct. Well, Jim Kelly was quarterback for Miami, right? Oh, it's a good Yeah, It doesn't have the box score. It's, it's so far. I wasn't able to do the. And Mark Rick would have been their backup quarterback, right? I can't remember if that's the year that, that yeah, uh, let's not go down that path. We're running out of time. <laughs> yep. No, so actually Tech started off that year extremely well. They won their first five games, lost to Clemson, beat Rhode Island, beat UVA, and then they lose to Richmond in Richmond, 18-7. So. I think that may have been the Barry Redden game. Richmond had a running back named Barry Redden that just ran for over 200 yards that day. It may be that game. And back then there wasn't as much difference between – what we now call FBS and FCS, because they had literally just divided them up. Like right? 1977, I yeah. think they split one double A off, yeah. and there were a lot of one like Richmond. You know, Richmond gave a lot of people a lot of trouble back then. William Mary was a good football team back then, so mm-hmm. yeah, that and, was, and, and yeah, and so. But eventually, the difference in scholarships eventually gradually. Yeah, my, my senior year in 1986, when Tech. Uh, Went nine two and one. It's ten one and one because one of the other one of the losses got forfeited. Uh, Tech went nine two and one, and they only beat Richmond seventeen to ten that year. Spiders. There you go. A little trivia question. Um, listen, I, I know you guys are both probably going with Tech here, but maybe right. a prediction. And how about something you're you're looking forward to for Virginia Tech to accomplish on Saturday against Rhode Island? I think I called it. 52 to 10 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm probably going to go 42 to 10. Yeah, uh, I, I want to see that intensity level 
kept up. I'm not saying I necessarily expect to see it for four quarters because yeah, it's hard to do against. This is, I think this is going to be a blowout, and there's going to be some backups in the game and things, things like that. Uh, <clears throat> but I, I want to see them come out with a killer instinct on both sides of the ball and put these dudes out in the first round. You know, just yeah. go knock them out because that, that that that's what you should do against a team like that. So that's what I want to see this week. Uh, continue to play with the same attitude as last week with a whole lot of emotion. That's the main thing I'll be looking for. And one of the small things we'll be looking for is please don't play Deshaun Crawford. Yes. Please don't or, play or Trey, Trey Turner. Turner. <laughs> yes. You don't need them this game. Get them healthy for the stretch run. Yeah. I keep going back to last season when they played Ricky Walker against William & Mary after he hurt his ankle against Florida State. What happened, of course, is he re-injured it against William Mary after like five or six plays, probably game in which he was not needed, and then he wasn't healthy again until late November. Yeah, he probably. was in a he was in a boot after that. Yeah, game. yeah, yeah. So don't risk it with those two guys; they're too important. We got the best producer in the world, Malcolm Stewart, produces each and every Tech Sideline podcast. He's back there with a smile on his face. Malcolm, I hope that means that we've got some questions on Facebook. Sure. Do you want to talk about the gnome name first? Yeah, sure. What, what are some suggestions for naming the gnome? The uh, the one with the most likes so far has been Skipper. Uh, saw Jet Sweeper. Jet Sweeper. <laughs> <laughs> Skipper's not bad. Uh, Noki. G N O K I E. I like that. Uh, Fun. Yeah. And then on the question side, uh, a couple people have asked about Dax versus Tisdale. What sort of impact was Tisdale having on uh, Bud's loyalty to Dax, et cetera, et cetera? Well, you know, Bud is very quick to protect Dax. After the game, he made sure to point out that because Virginia Tech was up by so many points, they knew Miami was going to start throwing the ball more, and they thought Tisdale was a better matchup. He also that. said it's not anything Dax did. It's, it's just it's the, that Tisdale, Tisdale had earned, earned the it. playing time. Right, and Tisdale has earned it. Um, I, I think – now, now, maybe what we don't know is about Tisdale at this point is how heavy a shoulder does he have? Is it like if we were playing Pitt and they were just running the ball right at him? How well would he hold up? I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's maybe it's different there. I personally don't think so. And, but, uh, but and oh, I by the way, one of the things we've been uh, guessing or, or thinking might happen is that they might redshirt Dax. Um, that's not going to happen. Yeah, that's not going to happen. He's now played in they're five. Gonna, they're going to redshirt Artis instead. I think I would go ahead and play Dax at Mike and get him a little bit of time. I'd take behind. a look at him there. Yeah, uh, uh, for sure. I mean, that's his most natural position. I think Dylan Rivers could back up at the backer position. And honestly, I, I'd, I'd be giving Tisdale 100% of the snaps there. I think he's your – not only is he your present, but he's your future there as well. The, some of the closing speed and open field tackling that we saw he, against yeah. Miami, it, it's plays we have not seen Dax make. Uh, yeah, right. yeah, he's just I mean, Tisdale just makes the defense so much more athletic. It's, it's so, we were talking about Ashby earlier, you know, try picturing Richard Ashby play in the backer position that'd be ridiculous. Right. He, you know, he's, yeah, it's not, it's not he a just can't change direction like that and right. and we've, we've talked repeatedly about how we think and Bud, Bud even said this, he's, he's he said that, that Dax is Bud hedged. He's probably more of a natural Mike. It's like, well, you can drop the problem. Probably, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And they were the fact is they recruited him as a Mike. Yeah. <laughs> and then in August, they last year, they started working him at backer because they weren't didn't didn't think Dylan Rivers was quite up to the job, and yeah. they needed somebody there. And it was the right move. 
It was the absolute right move because they didn't have a backer. Well, now they've got a backer. So, to me, the right move would be moving him back to Mike. So, Ar- Artis is a Mike, right? Artis is a Mike all the way. So maybe, That's a, the issue with this program is we've got a billion Mikes right. and only one true backer. So, maybe they redshirt Dax next year to get some separation between him and Ashby. You, well, then he'd be the same year as Artis. Uh, well, I think you need two. I don't. I don't think you need three. So anyway, right? Uh, but but you know, I don't. You don't see juniors red shirt generally. I'm not against it. That's rare. Yeah. yeah I mean, honestly, I would. I would rotate them. I would have a, some type of rotation. At well, you know, I was year. about to say Bud doesn't rotate his linebackers. He but. does when he has good linebackers. When he has good backups, we generally don't have good backup. But he they, forgot he, to rotate Tisdale. He in forgot or. supposedly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, now. He rotated Jake Housewright and Brian Welch. Yeah, he did. That you was know? a long time ago. He rotated. I remember in 2011 he would rotate. He rotated Bakie and Xavier Adibi. He he did in 2004. In 2011 he rotated. Oh goodness, no, no 2010. It, he, they rotated Bruce Taylor and, gosh, I forget the backer's name, but he ended up becoming a really Chase good, Williams. No. Jack Tyler. No. Ooh, I no. can't. I can't. I'm out. I'm out of names. Uh, he had a he had a twin brother. They both signed with Tech. Oh, and, uh, and then, and gosh, what were the Tariq Bull- Edwards? Oh, okay. I thought, you, I thought you were talking about the Warrens, but right, I guess no. they go further. He back. he rotated uh, Tariq Edwards in in 2010 at backer. Uh, so he's when he's had competent backups, he's rotated his okay. linebackers before. But you know, he's not the guy anymore. He's not going to be here next year. Right. So next next question. Yeah, we don't even know if the Mike and backer positions will exist next year. So, to a certain extent, that's a wasted conversation. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> uh, Chris Grella asked, is this a game where we can get Quincy some work if Tech can get a lead or just stick with Hendon Hooker the whole game? Uh, it's certainly a game where you should get Quincy some work. Uh, I'd, go, I'd, go, I'd go vanilla with Hooker, I, and, and I'd pay him, play him two or three. You know, assuming the game goes away, we think it's right. going to go. Play two or three quarters. Yeah. And, I'd ideally like to have him out of there halfway through the second quarter. Uh, I think you want to play him in the first half. Uh, you meant uh, halfway through the third quarter? Halfway through the third quarter, right. sorry, yes. Um, I think you want to ideally play him in the first half, give him give him some more experience with those halftime adjustments and, and letting him translate them to the field and then pull him halfway through after a series or two in the third quarter. Uh I would play Quincy. I know Willis is technically the number two quarterback right now. I don't see the point of playing him because Willis at this point is what he is. He's not going to get any better at this point in his career. So, And he runs a different game plan, obviously, than Hooker anyway. So, yeah, for garbage time, I would play Quincy for sure. I agree with that, and I would I – would I'd give Quincy a lot to do. I, I yes. think the the very very limited snaps we've seen from Quincy, I've been surprised how how little confidence he runs with. Um, I, I so I'd work on that with him. I'd say, listen, we're going to run you some, and I want you to take off. I want you to run some people over me. Run with authority and run with confidence. Work on the passing game also. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'd I'd get him a lot of work. Yeah. All right, mm. well, that's some great questions so far, Malcolm. Any more? Yeah, I got one more. Um, what impact or influence, if any, so far as Jerry Kill had? If you remember, we hired him. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think I think we'll see some stuff in the off season for sure that he's going to influence. Uh, I don't I don't really want to and as far as exactly says, what right that's now. That's all I'm going to say about uh, that. But, uh, <laughs> I, I think I think the running backs. It might not be a coincidence that like Deshaun McLeese has looked better since Kill got here. Um, I just think he's been more patient, and then he made a made the unblocked hat miss 
against uh, against Miami this past weekend. Right. Yeah, so uh, I don't know. It's one of those things that the, it's, he's been here such a short amount of time, you can't really tell. He'll have a bigger influence the longer he's here, the more he learns the personnel, the more he learns the coaching staff. He's probably primarily still in observation mode. Now, that said, he may have seen something right out of the gate where he's like, you, you, get, you really got to work on this. Right. So, All right, and of course, we cannot close. I don't know if anybody on Facebook got it, but it is time to reveal what uh, mm-hmm. song lyric is in Will's Twitter bio. We, we started the podcast with it. You can't do a thing to stop me. Did uh, <clears throat> Did anybody guess at that, Malcolm? Not that I can see, but I also can't go all the way back to the top of the comments, so... Possibly, but we'll never know. Don't need to make these things easier. <laughs> I've literally never gotten one, except when you gave me a Blink-182 song. <laughs> yeah, because I knew you liked Blink-182. <laughs> that is Chris Isaac. Chris Isaac. Well, who, uh, when did he, 80s or 90s? I've never heard of him. Yep. I've never heard of him. Chris Isaac was uh, very late 80s, early to mid-90s. He's most famous for uh, Wicked Game. Excellent song. Uh, I don't know that I'd call it a ballad. It's almost like a mood song. So you should watch it sometime. It, it's it's a famous video uh, of him rolling around on the beach with a supermodel. He was also on an episode of Friends. Oh, he was. I'm watching. Uh, that right and, now. and we'll we'll get to his acting career here in a second. But Chris Isaac is a guy who, uh, um, like one he he had he was a guy who could sing low pretty well, but he could also sing high. So, uh, you know, Elvis was a guy that could do that. So Elvis was a, was an influence on Chris Isaac. Chris Isaac was, I don't know, rock blues, maybe you want to call it that. Uh, he had probably three or four albums and maybe as many as five albums in, the, and in that late, early, late 80s, early 90s time frame that, that sold pretty well. Um, and, like, he also counted Roy Orbison as an influence because Roy Orbison could, could hit those high notes. Chris Isaac had a great voice, and I've always thought – I mean, he, he wasn't a top-level star. He was kind of one of those guys on the second level. He sold a lot of records, uh, you know, and, and moved the needle somewhat. But one of the things I find interesting about him is Chris mentioned that he was on, uh, on Friends. Um, you ever see the movie uh, Silence of the Lambs? Really? That is one of the greatest movies ever made. So if there, there are a handful of movies you should see. Um, and mostly they're on the IMDb top ten list. Uh, Shawshank Redemption, you should see if you've never seen that. I've not seen that. What? Silence. What? <laughs> He's never seen. <laughs> well, he works hard, man. Yeah. He works. He, he perfects his craft. He doesn't have time to sit around and watch movies. <laughs> but uh, Silence of the Lambs is one of the best movies ever made. It's it's literally okay. top ten, maybe top five. And uh, Chris Isaac plays a part in that movie. He plays the SWAT team commander in that movie. So if you're familiar with that movie, when, when they have the whole elevator scene and the SWAT team comes in, that's Chris Isaac who's directing ah. the SWAT team around. Interesting stuff. All right, so, all right, so I will, all right, I'll close with this because I actually, you know what, I was in the mood about a week ago just to, I, need, I haven't watched a movie in a long time. been curious to see this movie. I watched The Dark Knight for the first time ever. I thought that movie was overrated. Really? What I thought Heath think? Ledger was unbelievable see, as the Joker. Well, I, well I see, my first Batman experience was when I was six years old and it was Jack Nicholson Joker. Okay. So that's my so to me nobody can touch Jack Nicholson. I would like to see the new Joker Apparently. because I think Joaquin Phoenix is one heck of an actor. Yeah. But uh, that movie looks good. Yeah. And it's I, out. I, I thought the Dark Knight was was, was good, but I, I to me like Jack Nicholson sets the bar for Joker. <laughs> there you go. Chris, you know the hardest question I have to ask you every single week: What's coming up on TSL? 
Oh, we will have our game preview out today. Which is Wednesday. Yep, that's correct. Uh, I think we're going to have a wrestling article from Jake Lyman. Uh, we're going to have an article in Hendon Hooker, I believe, by Corey. Believe we'll have a Brandon Patterson article. So, we'll so have Corey, a true freshman report. I've got a lot of. We need to end the podcast. Uh, yeah, I've yeah. got to watch the Braves game, and I got a lot of work to do before then. So Corey, <laughs> Corey was going to try to get in touch with uh, uh, Hendon's high school coach. Do you know if he was able I to do that? I think he did. I okay. Think he did. Yeah. There you go. Well, listen. I know we went a little bit over today, but we didn't have the podcast money. Great show right. today, everybody. It was great recapping Miami, previewing Rhode Island. We talked movies, song lyrics. We did it all today. We have a new name for the gnome. It looks like. Uh, thanks to everybody for commenting on Facebook. And, guys, enjoy the 4 o'clock kick, and uh, we'll do it again on Monday. All right. Thank All right. You. Well, good luck to your Braves. Uh, that's going to do it for the Tech Sideline Podcast. For our producer, Malcolm Stewart, on the podcast center, managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and head honcho, Will Stewart, and your podcast host, Evan Hughes, saying so long. And we'll talk to you Monday morning and recap Rhode Island right here on the Tech Sideline Podcast, presented by the Fisher Law Firm.